I was in a wholesale distribution business, you know what I mean? And I became very successful at it. It wasn't like, well, I'm gonna sell this guy a $20 bag of weed. No, I was selling 50 and 100 pounds at a time. I'm like, it's weed, it's not killing anybody. I've been in situations that, that could have turned really bad. The risk that I was putting people in to go to the store and ship it, the risk that I was putting people in using their their houses to wrap it up, the risk that I was putting people in to go out to New York or to Atlanta to pick up my money and bring it back. It wasn't cool and it never set right with me. Now, granted, they're getting paid for what they're doing, so they're just as guilty as me, but I'm still the mastermind, the ringleader behind me. I think that I've always been a good guy, a decent person. It's just that I fell into a groove of making fast money, and it was hard to get out of that. That's Mike Rashid, and this is The Proof Podcast. This week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast features Mike Rashid King. Mike is a professional American boxer, a professional bodybuilder, and a very successful businessman. Mike grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and as a young kid, quickly began to see drugs and violence as completely normal. In this podcast, you will learn about Mike's journey, and in particular, how he overcame adversity and significant life challenges to become the successful man that he is today. Mike has literally stared death in the face and has a super powerful, matter-of-fact message that everyone is surely to be inspired by. Clear all distractions, guys. This is a story you will not want to miss. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil, 
Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Mike Rashid King, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you over this evening. I must admit I've got jet lag <laughs> from flight home from LA. But When did you get back? Got back at 7 a.m. this morning. Oh, okay. Certainly couldn't pass up this opportunity right. to have a quick one-hour conversation with yourself. Nice. For those of you listening, Mike is a professional boxer and bodybuilder. He's got a, a really inspiring story and Looking forward to digging deep, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this. So let's let's take it right back. Let's start, Mike, and learn a little bit about where you grew up as a child. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn at the time, I grew up in an era that I call the cocaine 80s. You know, there was a time when crack cocaine devastated the inner city, inner cities in America, and it all started in Brooklyn in New York City. And, you know... I I seen a middle class neighborhood that I lived, I grew up in, turn into like a war zone. You know what I mean? Brooklyn at that time had gotten so bad that every night you hear gunshots, you would hear uh, cars like racing. You know what I mean? You know, we had problems there. And my mother sent me to stay with my grandparents in a nicer part of Brooklyn called Canarsie. And the same thing, it was just normal. You know, and it used to be scary. And then it got to where it was normal. And Brooklyn was a very rough place. And that's what Brooklyn and Brooklynites were known for, for being rough, rough people. But it's different now. There's nothing like that anymore. You know, a couple of years ago, I even went to my old, the house that I grew up in. It's nice. It's clean. Cleaned up. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad to see that. You know, it feels good to see that. So, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, man. New York City, I feel like, is one of the greatest cities on the planet because you have, first of all, New York, you had America had, was supposed to have, but we had open borders. All the immigration came through New York City, through Ellis Island. Like, my grandparents came to the United States through Ellis Island as children. Their parents were adults. So you have a lot of cultures from all over the world in its purest form in New York City. So it made, it gave my childhood a very rich experience. And most people from there at that time, because you get to learn, you meet, you grow up with different cultures. It's like having neighbors from different parts of the world, literally in its purest form, people who are still close to their culture back home from where they're from. So it was pretty cool. And did you grow up as a, as an only child or do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I do have siblings on my mother's side. Um, I have a brother, we're 10 years apart. But on my father's side, I had a sister. I have a sister, Kaya, and uh, we're really close. We were close to the same age. She's a year older than me. 
and we were like freaking fracked. You know, I miss. She lives uh, in Abu Dhabi now, and I miss her daily. Okay. Yeah. And and as a child, sort of paint the picture for us what it was like to to grow up as a child, and you know, you see in the movies kids in Brooklyn or in New York playing out in the streets and learning to sort of fend for themselves quite early. Mm. What was that like and what, what did you do with your spare time outside of school? Yeah, I lived that life. That was my life for the most part. But also I was sheltered too. You know, full disclosure, my mother was married to the biggest drug dealer in New York City. So we were rich, you know, like literally I was a richy rich kid for a good portion of my childhood. Not all of it, but a good portion of it. So, you know, I was I was in the STEM courses. I, I played piano, I played saxophone, I tap dance. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> I did stuff rich kids did, you know what I mean? Chess club, like all of this stuff. So that was a part of my experience, but also uh, her husband got murdered and things got bad. and. And were you, how old were you when that happened? About nine or 10. And then things started going downhill. I became a normal Brooklyn kid. But at that point also, my mother sent me to stay with my grandparents. And my grandparents were like the greatest thing, the greatest people in my life, you know. And my grandmother is from Trinidad, Tobago. And she comes from, you know, out there, extreme poverty. So when she came to America, she was brought here and she wanted a better life for herself and her children. And my grandfather was very strict and he's a good dude. So they they took good care of me and they still kept me away from a lot of the pitfalls that a lot of other kids, you know, went through. So it was like, I was able to get some of that gritty living experience from Brooklyn without really succumbing to you know, the problems that a lot of people did have, you know, I was able to escape that for the most part because I had, you know, loving, you know, parents, grandparents that really, you know, did a good job and sheltered me from a lot of the stuff that was all around me. I was in it, but I wasn't of it. Yeah. So semi sort of protected from yeah. what, what was actually happening around you. For sure. And you mentioned that your your mother's husband was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Were you is that something that you look back on now and you understand? Or as a as a five, six, seven, eight, nine year old, were you aware of it then? Yeah, I was aware of it. You know, it's funny, man, when I think back on some of the things that I was aware of. Cause one of the times I remember coming home and nine years old, I don't know, ten, and my house is about to be raided by the police. There's police with guns drawn down at the basement and up at the front door at the it's porch. It's like a movie. It was like a movie. And in my head, I wasn't street smart. I didn't know like, all right, I'm not going to go in there. So, they, you know, I'm like, I'm going to walk in my gate. And in my head, someone told me, they're going to take you away. You're going to end up in a foster home. You're going to be in the system. It's like, why do I know that at nine, 10 years old? Nobody told me about that stuff, right? So I was aware of a lot of things, you know, but I always felt like I had like a, protection like a guardian angel for whatever reason i've been right at the edge of a lot of calamities atrocities and never fell over you know so i'm fortunate in that sense you know i I, it made me feel like you know growing up it gave me a lot of confidence and it made me feel like maybe there's something special about me you know what i'm saying yeah so i've had some brushes with some really bad situations but never really got pulled all the way into it. I always escaped it, you know? And 
at what stage did you begin boxing and, and falling in love with that sport? Oh man, that was a love that was introduced to me with my, by my grandfather and my father. I was young, man, 10, 11. And then I started actually boxing in a competitive amateur boxing at age 12. So, and I was locked in. I loved it. I loved it. It was just fun. Boxing is a very, it's scary, right? But I think it's like going into a, a shark tank. You know what I mean? When you get dunked in the water in the shark tank, it's like, all right, it's like adrenaline. Like, all right, let's do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. And I'm, I feel like I'm a normal guy. Like, and I, I feel like a lot of people have that adrenaline. They want that adrenaline dump at, at certain times to do some craziest shit like that. But boxing is a little different because you train to do it and you to see how good you are against somebody else. And it's the ultimate test of will, right? It's a lot at stake. You can get beat up, hurt, humiliated. It's not like baseball, basketball, football. The team loses. You kind of blend in with the crowd. But if somebody stands toe-to-toe and beats your ass, you lost. You know what I'm saying? You got you to gotta wear that L. Wear it proud. That one-on-one fending, one-on-one. fending for yourself. But if you win, you won. You did that. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a very difficult sport. The training is hard. It's a lot of discipline involved. For whatever reason, I was just drawn to it at an early age. So if we, if we go back to when you did start boxing, what was the commitment like then in terms of training and what were you doing as a, as a 12-year-old when you were amateur boxing? Oh, man, I was getting up early, running, you know, six in the morning with heavy boots on because Muhammad Ali wore boots to, to run, so I, I had to do the same. <laughs> you know, just the, the training, pull-ups, running, you know, a lot of uh, skill work, conditioning. Boxing is a mental sport. First thing I was taught is that it's 80. You said you got to be in shape. That's a given. But it's 80% mental, 20% physical. And it is a lot of sparring, you know what I mean, at an early age. And the only way to really learn how to fight is to fight, is to get in there and do it. I'm sure you see people hitting the mitts and the heavy bag all the time. It look great. But that's that's part of your conditioning and 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 conditioning your, your body to move in a certain way and throwing high volumes of punches at certain points and your conditioning, but that's not fighting. You got to get in there and fight to really understand it because you may go in there with the best technique, but as soon as you get hit, you lose composure and you can't ever lose composure. You know what I'm saying? Boxing is a very poker face, calm, gum chewing, nothing affects me type of uh, a sport. You know what I mean? It's very psychological. Who, who was teaching you the art, the, the skill back then when you first started? Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson, you know, <laughs> I watched the, their tapes like you would not believe, but my father did give me the, the, the foundation, you know, but over the years I've trained with a bunch of different coaches, you know, so, and just picking up things all over the place. Yeah. You know, everybody taught me, you know what I mean? But I, I think I got the most from watching, you know, watching fighters and, and trying to emulate them. And can you remember the, your your first fight or any of the sort oh, yeah. of early day fights that stand out? Yeah, my first fight was significant to me because it was my first fight. So I remember it vividly. I remember the night. I remember the guy I fought. I remember his name. You know, I ended up fighting him a bunch of times in the amateurs because you get matched up against guys your weight and your age, you know. 
and I beat that guy every time I fought him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was it was a great night. It was my first fight. You know, you got to win your first fight. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're you're a big guy now. You're mm-hmm. a heavyweight, right? Right. And and back then, were you were you sort of fairly big for your age, or where were you sort of where were you positioned? I was a normal sized kid. And when I actually stopped back in the day, I was 158 pounds. So that would that would be the small end of a middleweight. So, you know, me picking that up now, it's a lot different. My tactics had to change because I'm a lot heavier. So I have to fight as a heavyweight, but I'm not as big as heavyweights because they're a lot taller, a lot bigger. I can't fight them like Muhammad Ali. I can't box them. I'm not taller than these guys. So I have to change my tactics and adjust accordingly. So... And as you progress through the the amateur sort of ranks, mm-hmm. did you did you have your eyes on being becoming a, a professional boxer? I did. However, a part of me was looking for an out because maybe I was losing discipline. You know, I was you know becoming a young man and not getting to do what everybody else was doing. And my my father got into my head at an early age, right? There's fighters, there's athletes that party, that drink, smoke, all of that. I did none of that. You know what I'm saying? Me wanting to just live life, any excuse that I could have got to stop fighting, I would take it, you know, and I did. And I would stop and come back, stop and come back. You know, when you 19, 20, you don't know what you're doing with your life. Um, I didn't really have a solid support system, a real team behind me. That makes a huge difference having a support system behind you. All right, let's train. You train today? All right, you know, just just keeping you in check. And when you're 19, 20, I didn't have the discipline to just give give it a million percent. You know what I mean? So, you know, I would stop, come back, stop, come back. Every time I would come back, it would be more difficult. You know, it would be a little bit harder for me to get conditioned. I had to lose weight, you know, stuff like that. And then the final time I was about 22, 23, which is actually late. You know what I mean? And I was, you know, like, this is the year I'm going to go ahead and and take this serious and go pro. And then uh, an opportunity came up and I took it. It took me away from fighting. I thought it was going to be huge for me. And it wasn't that big. You know, it was a good opportunity, but it wasn't that big. But at that point, I respected the, the sport enough to just walk away, you know, stop bullshitting it and me. You know, that's when I just started growing up and trying to become, trying to figure out my way in this world. And as you were uh, coming coming through as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, were you still living in Brooklyn at that no, stage? No, at this point, I moved to Arizona for school. So how old were you when you moved to Arizona? 18, 18. 19, somewhere around there. So college days, you know what I mean? But before that, I had lived in Florida for a year, right? So, because that's where my mother's side of the family is from. So I went down there and it just, it wasn't for me. Like I got family there and, you know, I was a city boy. My family there is deep country. It's, it's just worlds of difference. It's, it's crazy. So I just didn't like it. You know, it just wasn't for me. You know what I mean? It was slow. It just was culture, complete culture shock. You know what I mean? I didn't even like going out West to to Arizona, but it was a lot better than, it was a better adjustment for me than going to Sanford, Florida. You know what I mean? So, and how, how would you compare Arizona to to Brooklyn? World's difference. Now, when I was younger, I really didn't like it at all. Arizona. There's things about it I don't like now, but there's a lot that I do appreciate about it. Right? The cost of living is is phenomenal. 
the quality of life is really good, right? It's nice there. The only problem is no culture at all, you know? But it's clean. It's not much crime. You could buy huge property for not much money. You know what I mean? Not compared to New York, you know, or L.A. It's just a beautiful place. Like, aesthetically, it's beautiful. It's mountains, desert landscape, stuff like that. Never gets cold, which I like, you know? So, and it's close to everything. I'm an hour flight from L.A., San Diego, Vegas. I'm close to everything. So, I like it. I like to be able to go to the crazy and then come back <laughs> to my nice little sanctuary. And you mentioned that uh, an opportunity took you away from from boxing. Mm-hmm. What was that? It was a uh, TV. You know, I got to this girl I was dating at the time. She was a young model slash actress aspiring, and I was went to visit her in California. On this visit, she had an audition for hosting a, a show, and I just happened to be with her. Crazy story, man. I was with her. And one of the producers came out giving instructions to people. And he see me sitting there. He was like, he had his pad. He was like, where are you at on this list? I was like, I'm not on it. I'm just with her. I'm not on this list. He said, are you auditioning, right? I was like, <laughs> no, yes, no, I don't know. Again, Am this I? is like it's out of a movie again. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so he was like, come on in here. Once I walked in, one of the other producers, a, a girl, Nia, remember Nia Hill? She was like, that's our guy. So I walked in. So then they had me read like a script and all of that. And then it was basically like, you got it. And what sort of show were they casting for? It was called, it was on BET. It's called Teen Summit. So it was like a teen show. You know, it was, it was a cool, hip, urban, you know, you have rappers, actors as guests. Also talked about social issues and stuff like that. So it was a cool show. It was a popular show back then. But that stuff doesn't last So you forever. jumped into it, though? You- I jumped into it, moved to L.A., you know, and there was a lot of opportunities for me out there, but it was a lot of, L.A. is a, is a wicked place. There was a lot of opportunities, but it was also, a, some of it came at a cost that I, I wasn't going to pay at all. You know what I mean? So I was just like, man, like whatever success that I have, it's always a slow route. You know what I mean? Everything I, I, I obtain or I build is always a slow route because the fast track to a lot of these things is doing things that I'm just not going to do. I mean, we were talking about stuff like this today at dinner, but it's certain things that I just like, I don't care to do. I don't care if it ain't the smartest thing economically or financially. I don't care. You know, I got to live with myself. So there was things that was just all around, you know, in that Hollywood world that I, I wanted no parts of. So I was watching that machine chew people up and spit them out. So you're, you're sticking strong to your values yeah, and beliefs. Yeah. yeah, I was like, you're right. I'm out of here. Fuck this place. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I love it. And I just didn't like the whole Hollywood vibe and people like you will have people, you know, you're at you're at a party or a function that it's all invite. So people would just assume that you're somebody and they're like, so what do you do? It's like, I'm a garbage man. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean what I do? It is goofy. Rather than actually, who are you getting yeah, to know yeah, you probably? Exactly. And nobody, and they're, they're talking to name dropping and talking about, oh yeah, I had a meeting today with so-and-so. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I don't care. You know what I mean? So, so, I, so that was short-lived or yeah, around about a year. Yeah, it was short-lived. It was fun though. My time at working on the show was fun. I learned a lot, but yeah, it was short-lived. 
And then from from there, you jumped back to to Arizona or where did you? Yeah, I went back to Arizona. You know, I did something that made no fucking sense. I got involved in like, you know, I, I had a good family, I had a good upbringing, but, you know, like that movie, there was some bad things going on, like my mother's husband and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I got into selling drugs and hustling, you know? I, it started out as just helping out an uncle, you know? This is in Arizona. Yeah. Is there, is but there this a lot is, of that happening this, in Arizona? Like, oh, yeah. Let's paint a picture of Arizona Arizona is a huge hub for marijuana. It's like, okay. I mean, it's a gateway to Mexico. You know what I mean? So everything's changing now since the laws are changing, which is good, right? So they, they're decriminalizing it. It's becoming legal. So it's it, these guys are like, oh, shit. They don't know what to do anymore. So I was helping out an uncle, and he's making just tons of money. And I'm just really putting two and two together and figuring it out on my own. I'm just like, I could do this. You know what I mean? Just an investment. I'll just invest in this 10 pounds, what, $5,000 sitting over there. So you're I'm looking like $20, at it as, as, a, as a business. It is, it, it is a business. Okay. It is a business. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits 
really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. So I was in a wholesale distribution business, you know what I mean? So I did that and I became very successful at it, you know, but everything came to a head, you know, and I was, I wasn't living the craziest lifestyle. I wasn't living the best lifestyle, but I was just justifying it. I'm like, it's weed. It's not killing anybody, but uh, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a seller's guy, $20 bag of weed. No, I was selling 50 and hundred pounds at a time, you know, from to the East coast. So the risk that I was putting people in to go to the store and ship it, the risk that I was putting people in using their their houses to wrap it up, the risk that I was putting people in to go out to New York or to Atlanta to pick up my money and bring it back. It wasn't cool. And it, it never sat right with me. You know what I mean? I would worry so much, you know, how much money I made per week was all contingent on how much of a chance I was willing to take with other people's freedom. You know what I'm saying? Now, granted, they're getting paid for what they're doing. So they're just as guilty as me. You know what I mean? But I'm still the mastermind, the ringleader behind this. You know, people struggle. You can make a quick thousand dollars from dropping something off at the UPS store. You, you know, okay. You know what I'm saying? So so it, it, it never sat right with me, man. It, it used to eat away at my conscience. And I think the fact that it did, my I attracted other disease situations to me to stop that from happening. You know what I mean? Things that were way worse, right? Or could have prevented all right, so there's a book I read a long time ago called Disease, right? And it talked about a disease situation, you know, dis-ease, like yep. taking you out yep. of ease, right? So, and it said, oftentimes we will attract a disease situation to ourselves to present something worse from happening. Now, when I was hustling, doing what I was doing, there were certain times, man, that I was almost, that you know what a Mexican standoff is? Like a, like, I got a gun, you got a oh, gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's budging. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Right. Yep. I was literally in those. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. And when it just would dissolve, I'm like, fuck, how did that happen? You know what I'm saying? And I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I don't go around like I'm some tough guy. But when you're in that world, you have to, and you, the leader at your little situation, you got to be that ultimate practitioner or nobody's going to respect you. So, I've been in situations that were, that could have turned really bad. So this one fateful night was around my birthday, had some friends in town hanging out, come home. Somebody br- breaks into my house. They were there while I was there. Was that something you were worried about? Like you nah, sort of no, 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 a little no, no, bit no. scared or fearful coming home no, at all? No, because I live so far out. Okay. It just doesn't happen. So this guy's in your house. Yeah. And, uh, Make a long story short, without getting into too many details, you know, I reacted as harsh as you can react. You know, the police came and they were like, "Yeah, self defense and all is cool, but you're coming with us." You know, so make a long story short, they've known about me. This is one one thing I learned, and what I tell people that's getting into illegal activities, I'm like, "Look, you're not going to get away with anything." They know everything. 
right? So they were watching. It's just a matter of if it's the right time to get you or if you're not important enough yet or they're waiting or whatever. So anyway, they knew about me. When a person, I don't know how it is here, but I know in America, when they decided to uh, prosecute somebody, a lot of it is on a likability factor. And also there's other things, circumstantial things involved, right? And my situation, if you looked at my case, you're like, why would anybody arrest this guy? But my lifestyle, the people I was affiliated with, everything pointed at me being a bad guy. You know what I'm saying? So they tried to to bully me. You know, they tried to get me. So make a long story short, you know, I got out of that situation. It took a long time, but uh, I had somewhat of a grace period to show myself that I wasn't a bad person and to really change my life for the better. And one thing I take pride in, I'm not even going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I was going to say I take pride in the fact that I did change everything for the better, but I don't get a pat on the back for being a normal fucking person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't get a pat on the back for stop being a criminal. I should have never been a criminal. So anyway, I left all of that stuff alone, yeah, right. needless but, to say. But in your position, it's sort of, it was enough to, to sort of help you see the light and put you back on track. Absolutely. I mean, it's easy for me to do because I think that I, I've always been a good guy, a decent person. It's just that I fell into a groove of making fast money and it was hard to get out of that. What sort, what time frame, just for the listeners, from you know initially coming back from LA to Arizona, how long mm. was it until you were all of a sudden sort of the, the mastermind behind the it, it operation? Took a, it took a couple of years. I mean, it, it wasn't immediate. Like I was struggling poor, you know, after LA for a while because that money, you know, I was a kid. I didn't know what to do yeah. with the money. So, you know, odd jobs here and there and whatever I can do to, to make ends meet. And then, you know, working for my uncle, getting a few hundred thousand dollars here and there until I had the money to start buying my own stuff and making my own connections and doing what I was doing. It, it took about, I don't know, maybe 2005-ish is when I started really making good money. You know what I mean? And that lasted up to around 2008. And I'm talking about serious runs of big money. You know what I'm saying? So- I was living like a like a rock star. You can know, you, what I'm can you can you sort of quantify that in terms of like how much? Yeah, roughly. I mean, it was all like I said. Each week, how, however much money I I I made was totally up to me. It was just if I wanted to deal with that stress that week because when like let's say I went and got a hundred pack, that's a hundred pounds a week. It's the stress of my people meeting with the guys to get it right, or me meeting with the guys to get it. And then it being driven to a certain location to get packaged properly. That's all stressful. And then the stress of knowing somebody's taking it, taking a couple packages to this UPS store, to that UPS store to ship it. Okay, they're good. Then the stress of it, is it going to make it to its destination? Because sometimes packages would get intercepted sometimes and not always by police. There's a lot of savvy guys that work at these facilities that know what to look for. You know what I'm saying? And they would steal it. You know what I'm saying? And put phone books in the boxes. That just doesn't turn up. Right. Or the person that's receiving it act like, oh, I got something else. When they, You know what I mean? But I didn't really have those Must problems. Must be hard to try, so. I didn't have those problems, but those are issues, things that you worry about. You know what I mean? So- what about um, like turf wars or, you know, did you, were you ever nah, standing on anyone else's toes? No, nah, it's not. That's, that's the movies. 
You know what I'm saying? Or that's low level. That's everybody got dope in their pockets. Car run up, you run up to sell it to them. That, that's not what I did. Like I, it was a legit business. Like I didn't, I wasn't even around anything. In the beginning, I was. I had to learn how to do everything to teach other people how to do it. But I wasn't even around stuff. I would just make boom, 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 boom. Do this, do that, do this, do that. So it was just, like I said, you can imagine all of those steps is very stressful, but the reward was big. I mean, you make a lot of money. You can double your money. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I can make $50,000 a week. I can make $20,000 a week. I can make $100,000 a week. You know what I mean? It was however much stress I felt like dealing with. Okay. So you, you went through that sort of phase of your life. And when you came out the other side, mm-hmm. what, what did you move on to then? I, I wanted to just be legitimate at everything. And all of this time, keep in mind, I was training. I was always in the gym, you know, from 12 all the way to now. Like, there's never been a time that I wasn't exercising, working out, training, you know. So that was a constant in my life. So I started working as a personal trainer, you know, around 2010, 9, 10, something like that. And, uh, I became successful as a trainer. You know, this is when social media was really starting to bubble 2011-ish and stuff like that. And, you know, people, you know, the the content that I was putting up, people were liking. It was liking that stuff. So, and it was growing. It was all organic. So the the more people that would follow me or whatever, I, I recognize it as these are, these are a lot of people I can market services or products to, you know what I'm saying? So, and that's what I did start doing, you know? And I was doing that at a time when I, fitness industry, like, what's that? You know what I'm saying? Like, people say, when did you get in the fitness industry? I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, I've always been in fitness. Yeah, sure. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't know anybody. I didn't have anybody to ask, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, I started doing products and, and selling them on my own, like, I didn't have a Mike Rashid to ask for advice, you know what I'm saying? Or for any connections. So I started everything myself, man, in my kitchen. And what, what sort of products were you making and selling at that the, stage? My very first thing was a pre-workout. Okay, well. And the very first prototype of it, first of all, let me back up a little bit. I have no education in chemistry, you know, but I was always fascinated with the fact that you can create something to get certain types of results. You know what I'm saying? So what I was doing and what I came up with came out of a place of necessity because I was training a lot of people. I was a very successful trainer and it was getting to the point to where I was training so many people. It was just really affecting my mood. It was draining me. You know, I was starting to hate it. So I I would take like a fat burner or pre-workout and I'm like, oh shit, I feel great. You know, right. However, it was side effects to it. I didn't like so what I would do is I would go home after work and I'm working long days and I would take pictures of the labels of the ingredients and go home and study this stuff and try to figure out what's in it that's making me feel like this or that. Okay, I would identify something. Now I research that. Is this important? Like, oh, it's not. Why do they put it in there? Oh, it makes you feel tingly. So you feel like you're getting something out of it. But this really is not necessary to that extent and yada, yada, yada. So I, over time, I formulated my own pre-workout, right? And I did it. I didn't know anything about fillers or how to mask flavor, the, the, the tart taste and stuff like that. So the stuff that I was making was 
fucking grotesque. It was disgusting. So I would put it in tea. You know what I mean? To try, just the heat of it would try to help with the flavor, but it, not really. And you were selling that though. No, no, no. I wasn't selling. Wasn't it. Selling. That was for personal use. And I didn't have any intention on selling it per se. I said maybe if I come up with a, a decent tasting enough formula, I sell it to my my clients and some of my my peers, some of the other trainers, and I'll sell it for a lot of money so i don't care if they buy it or not and if they do i'll make some money off of it right so the first prototype i made i didn't have a milligram scale i didn't know how important that was and i miscalculated grossly miscalculated the amount of caffeine and hydrous to put in it right so i took a tablespoonful which is the equivalent of like 40 fat burners (laughs) yeah so i'm it's five in the morning i'm bouncing off the wall i feel amazing i get to the gym i start training people and about an hour in, I start feeling like sad, like like depressed. And I'm just like, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I leave. And I didn't tell anybody I was leaving. And that's not like me at all. I went home and I'm I'm crashing more and more and more. And basically what happens is when you take that amount of stimulant, it speeds you up like crazy. And then it slows you down. It can slow you down to the point of cardiac arrest, right? It can slow you down to the point to where you start having psychotic episodes. A lot of bad could have came out of that. But all that happened to me was I slept for like two days. Very lucky. I'm very lucky. I woke up dehydrated, like my mouth, like I barely opened my mouth. You know what I mean? It was crazy. And I didn't know what happened. So after that, I was like, let me, that's when I, I know all of the stuff because I, I researched what a tablespoon of caffeine meant. You know what I'm saying? The amount that you're supposed to put in is not even a pinch. It's tiny. So, so after I, the fact I, I, you worked yeah, it out. Yeah. So I, I didn't end up working it out and then start. Ma- I made a formula that worked. I'm like, oh shit, this is amazing. So as I'm still a personal trainer at this point. But so you really were using yourself as a guinea pig to yeah. affect the formula. And I think that's the best way to do it. And it just shows that it comes from a real place. Like I was ordering my ingredients. There were crap ingredients, but I'm... Amazon. Like, I don't know where else to do it. Just Google. So I figured all this out on my own. Like nobody told me anything. That's why people, when they ask me, what do I got to do to start this business? I'm just like, you're not, you're not ready. Just start it. Just figure it out. Exactly right. And it sounds like a cop-out answer, but it's not. Just figure it out. I figured it out. You know what I mean? At this point, people are starting to reach out to me for different, you know, because when your following is growing, people want to tap into that, that base. But anyway, uh, one this guy is still a business partner of mine right now. He reached out like, hey, you ever think about doing a product line? And I said, funny you ask. I took pictures of my kitchen. And uh, T, were you ever at the house in Pedro when I had all of that? It looked like a laboratory. I had key, It comes in kilos, packages of every type of yeah, yeah, yeah. ingredient you could think of. You know, some of, most of it don't even work. Like, that's why people put out certain products. I'm like... This is bullshit. You know what I mean? Because I had the raw versions of that stuff and it don't work. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, I was buying everything and uh, just trying shit. So I took pictures of my kitchen. I'm like, yeah, well, I've been doing this so long. He's like, really? What, what is you doing? And I explained my formula. He was like, oh, that's interesting. I have a partnership with this manufacturer. Da, 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 da. You want to put this out for real? I was like, I guess, sure, fuck it. So, you know, we worked at it. I said, but it's got to be my formula. This, this guy's from Arizona as well. No, nah, no, nah, he's from South Carolina. South Carolina. Jeez, Jamie. And we put it together. And, you know, the first month we, we made a profit, $3,000 profit. And I'm like, oh, shit. 
as a personal trainer, extra $3,000, that was good and money. at this stage, mm-hmm. was, that, was that through your offline connections and contacts or was, was your social media sort of already ticking along? Yeah, I sold that through social media because that's, you know, that was, I had a little audience and they were buying it. You know what, what, what size was your audience back then when you man, started? Man, I wish I remember, man. I don't know. It was okay, you know what I'm saying? But I, I really don't remember exactly what it was. Every month kept doing a little bit better and better. And then started rolling out more products. I'm like, yo, this is a real, it started moving fast. I'm like, this is a real business. This is, can be a business. So, you know, it, it grew and, you know, it's a multi-million dollar company now. And Amazing, man. Yeah. And then I started doing other businesses. And, you know, once you get that bug, you know, you want to, you know, my thing is like fixing things, figuring things out and doing things the way I, I think it should be done. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we were talking about stuff like this at dinner. It's like certain people, you know, you know, smart people kind of do their own thing. They don't just fall under somebody else's thing, you know? And I, I've never been one to really be into like sponsorships and stuff like that because I'm like, I can just do it myself. You know what I'm saying? I do have a sponsor who sponsored me way back then when I was nobody. And I've always stayed with them just out of loyalty because they gave me a shot when nobody yeah, even nice. knew who I was. You know what I mean? So, uh, and that was a clothing sponsor, but I still do my own apparel as well. So, you know, that's kind of how I got into all of this on the business side. But I can't leave out YouTube because YouTube was a huge thing for me, a huge tool that put me out in front of a lot of people and also separate me from a lot of big like Instagram people or whatever. You know what I mean? Because YouTube is like the king of social media. Was it mainly workout like personal training type content that you were continuing that to time, upload? At that time, yeah, it was. And who, who, what was your sort of average follower? Who was engaging with your content and, and liking it? 18 to 34 boys, men, young men, you know what I mean? So, um, on, a, on a global scale, mainly American or? The way, I think the way it runs is America, the United Kingdom, Australia, Germany is in there for some strange reason, and Canada, something like that. So it kind of runs in that order, you know? Okay. So you you got the first 3,000 units, mm. they sold well, and then you thought, okay, this is a, this is a real business. Mm. What was, what was next? Did you, did you go back and expand that range? Is that, that oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, expanded. I have a, you know, over 11 SKUs, you know, with that company. I've been getting offers, you know, buyout offers each year, you know, and uh, I'm like, eh. And you, like, do you still manufacture with the same guys or? Yeah, still same, same and you, squad. And do you still have a, a big involvement in the creation of the formulations? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, there's really not much more we can add to it other than just doing, trying to improve on formulas and, and getting more flavors involved and stuff like that. But I have another company that uh, I started with two partners about two years ago, Mark Lobliner and Sean Torbati, really good friends of mine. And it's called Ambrosia. Ambrosia. Yeah. And it's something that I'm really proud of. I'm going to put all the links at the bottom of this podcast for anyone okay. who uh, who needs to get some more information. Right. So the first company was I'm So Alpha. And it was a straight up, it's a good sports nutrition company, you know, but over time, like my priorities are shifting. I'm growing, evolving as a person. I wanted to do just really healthier, even with I'm so alpha, even it be with it, even being a meathead company, I'm still, you know, I, I, I put out a vegan protein, I put out turmeric, you know, yeah, a well. cleanse, a lot of herbal stuff. 
And Ambrosia is an even further extension of that, of just products that promote optimal health, making you healthy from the inside out, organ support, cognitive functioning. You know, I uh, have a product called Overtraining Solution, which, you know, supercharges your immune system. You know what I'm saying? So with, with Ambrosia, that's like, it's three guys who have successful businesses already coming together to make this super company. And that's what we're doing. And, you know, sales, just based on how good the product is, is is phenomenal, right? And we haven't done any big promotional push yet. So this is a new, this is a new company? Yes, it's, it's, it's a new company. We're actually, we actually did a lot of sales here in Australia through Massive Joe's. We're, we're coming back out here in June, the beginning of June, to do a tour all over Australia for Ambrosia. So I'm excited about that. And the next country we do will probably be United Kingdom. You know, I'm excited about Ambrosia, the direction of it, the products that we have is innovative. The quality control is, is bar none. The the ingredients, we're spending a lot of money, you know, a lot of research and development. We're using all patented ingredients, which I want people to do the research on your own. It's, it's, it's different than just buying something, you know, what everybody else is doing. You know, our margins aren't even that great, but we don't care. You know, it's not a thing that we're doing for money. It's funny because when you do things and not focus on the money, the money comes anyway. You know what I mean? But we're making it affordable. We can justify why this shit, all of this should be premium price points, but we didn't do that. None of our formulations we did for margins. It was just for effectiveness, you know, and I was adamant. We all were adamant about that. We're all on the same page. So, you know, Ambrosia is a good situation. And I chose the, the name Ambrosia you know, I'm a big kid and, um, you know, I like the Greek mythology movies and Ambrosia was the food that the gods on Mount Olympus ate. That was their food. Ambrosia, okay. the best shit. So that's why we named it Ambrosia, you know? So yeah, this is, this is a good, it's a good situation. I'm looking forward to that really coming out. Yeah, out sure. Australia. Yeah. So if you had some, some, let's say top three tips for anyone, perhaps, you know, five years behind you in terms of starting up a product-based mm. company online. I think you've already said one, which is basically just get out and do it and, and don't try and look to someone else for all the answers. But what mm. else would you add? You have to identify what you want to do and you have to be very persistent. You know, persistence pay. I mean, water, you know what the Grand Canyon is, right? Yeah, that was yeah, shaped yeah. by water. You know what I'm saying? Not brute but water over time, right? Persistence is the most valuable, one of the most valuable assets that one can have. You should do everything you can. See, a lot of my stuff, a lot of my tactics that I give people are not the traditional business tactics that you're think, looking for, but I feel like it works. And trying your best to be as good a, good a person as you possibly can, right? Always trying to sharpen your sword and keep yourself in, in accountable for everything that you say and you do, you know, that resonates with people. We're all salesmen at the end of the day. I don't care what you're trying to push or what you're, you're trying to sell something. So people got to trust you. They're really, you cannot have the best sales. To, I don't have, I tell people all the time, I don't think I'm the greatest businessman by any means, but I try my best to be as good a person as I can. And I connect with people. I'm good with people. Right. And that's valuable. It's hard to, teach that. But I think a good 
tool or or lesson I can give people is try your best to be as good as a person as you can. You know what I'm saying? I tell people all the time, you know, I want to start my fitness brand, my business. Duh, 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 duh. I break them down. I'm not going to bullshit them because I care. Like, that's me being a good guy. It's not like, oh, yeah, bro, do it. Uh, yeah, fucking that's right. Which fucking is what hustle. most people would be telling yeah, you. Yeah, fucking hustle. Don't fucking stop. Duh, duh, duh. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> why do you so want, true. Right. Why do you want people to follow you? Out of 10 people that I can ask, I'll ask that to, 10 of them won't have an answer. Or a legitimate answer. They're like, well, because I'm a beast. I'm, I'm dedicated. I'm, okay. But why should they follow you? What, what are they following you for? Because you want you want this following so you can market your product to or your services, right? You Where's your value? Where's your value? What are you giving people? I just want people to be in shape. And da, 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 da. I'm like, do you really? Is that really important to you? Yeah. Do you really fucking care if that guy over there is in shape or not? <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. No, you don't. I don't care. I don't care if you're in shape. I'm being honest with you. Think about it. You really want to say that? You want to snap that out there? Nah, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Now, now we're starting to, you know, I want people to just- Break down that barrier. Yeah, deal with reality. People like real people. You know what I'm saying? So when everybody's out there running with the same narrative, I want everybody to be rich and successful and this and that. No, you don't. You don't give a fuck. Huh? You know what I'm saying? You're just selling people dreams. Stop it. I think that's you know? really refreshing to hear. And, it, and it, it's a real thing, man. And it's a lot of people that make a lot of money selling people dreams. We talked about this at dinner tonight. And, I, and it's cool. Whatever. Whatever you want to do. I just can't do that. I can't participate in that. I don't want to do it. It's not, I'm not comfortable with that. But what I would sell people is, hey, I'm not special. I'm a normal fucking guy that work his ass off. And I try to do the right thing by people. I've been in some really shitty situations that I got myself into. You know what I mean? But I was for damn sure not going to lay down and die to any of it. You know what I'm saying? So I had to correct my ways, correct my actions, and things paid off. That's something I can give you. That's realistic. You know what I'm saying? It's never the end of the world. Just because you made some mistakes, that don't mean you're a bad person. You made some mistakes, now fix them. Don't just leave it. You know what I mean? That's important to me. That's a tactic that should lead to some success. You know? I keep going back to dinner tonight. We had a really good conversation. But... You know, we're talking about some real estate stuff, some business stuff. And I'm like, I can't get to that until everything is perfect in my personal situation. You know what I'm saying? I can't, you know, people look to me for like insight, wisdom and stuff like that. I can't keep giving that to people if I have something that's not right. in my. If my bed is not made every morning, I'm full of shit if I'm telling you how to live a good life. You know what I'm saying? If my situation is not always on point, I can't keep giving you mental jewels. I can't give you tools and tactics if I if my shit is raggedy. You know what I'm saying? To me, that's super important. And once all of that is intact, man, sky's the limit. We're good, you know? So, and I, I just, that's just how I live. I can't help it. I look at myself in the mirror every night, you know, and I, I'm like, are you, are you okay with who are you looking at? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you didn't do this. Fuck. All right. I'm on it. You know what I'm saying? So I, I give myself that, those talks. You know what I'm saying? I think that's some of the best advice I've heard for anyone who's starting a business, what you've just summarized there. So that is fantastic. Yeah. If we if we just slide to the side of, of business for a moment, because mm-hmm. I know that we don't have much more time left, but people will be really interested in the bodybuilding side of things, and mm-hmm. then we'll, we'll go on to the back to the boxing. But okay. let's just go through the, the bodybuilding. So. 
when did you did you fall into actually competing? I want to say it was in 2012. Yeah. And it was a dare. It was nothing I ever sought out to do. And somebody said, yeah, but you wouldn't do it, though. And I'm like, I'll do it and I'll win. Because I got a little bit of an ego. So they said, all right, game, do it then. I said, all right, watch. So I did a two-week prep, killed it, won, right? I was always in shape, though. I was always in shape. So I actually did, like, a legit bodybuilding diet at the time. And I got really, I got ripped. I had veins. This is the first time in my life I had veins, right? I used to think that veins were steroids, you know what I'm saying? I was ignorant. I didn't know. But I did that diet two weeks, super strict. I'm like, oh, shit, that's how, that's how you do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wasn't super big, but I was, you know, I looked pretty good, you know? So it was, I liked how I looked. I liked being that kind of lean. You know, it was just different. What sort of weight were you then? Probably about 205, you know, something like that. So uh, 200, maybe. I just did a few a few more of the shows and two more of the shows. And um, the last one I did, it really hit me without like, like, hey, what are you doing? What is this? You know, I'm just looking at everybody. I'm like, this is not important. This is silly. It's not, not that any sport is important because they're not. It's sports, it's play. But that really felt weird to me. You know, it was like a pageant. Didn't feel like you. Nah, it wasn't me, you know, so... You know, it was no biggie. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I feel these people, these people down here judging me. They're telling me or you and you who looks better. And that's who wins. That's goofy. I don't like that. You know what I'm saying? So at least let's do push-ups or race or something. You know what I mean? So it's no competition component in this. And I'm out. So I, I pulled out. I've always been really strong because I always wanted to be strong. So did a little bit of powerlifting, you know. And uh, as strong as you get, I mean, your body start breaking and, you know, it's, you know, I got up to a 500 pound bench press and the body's not made for that. <laughs> you know, mine isn't, you know, but it, I wanted to be strong. So I achieved some of those things. And so then you, you, you went away from the competitive bodybuilding mm -hmm. and went back to competitive boxing. Right. So, you know, coming up to the ranks, you were an amateur did your bodybuilding stint, and then I believe you ended up becoming a professional boxer. Yes. Talk us through that and, and what got you back into the sport, wanting to compete there, and then how you ended up being, you know, awarded a professional. Right. Card. So I, I love boxing. I was getting too big, and part of it, it wasn't just because I was lifting a lot. I was eating and not burning off as many calories because, you know, just lifting is easy. It's not a lot of work sometimes, you know, you know, I'm, I'm 41 years old now, you know, so it's like, I'm not burning things off as fast as I used to, you know, I used to be able to eat anything and you can't tell, you know, it's not the case anymore. <laughs> Age is real. So I didn't like how I was looking. I was getting too bulky, too big. I was getting tired all the time. I'd be having sex. I had to take a break. Like, hold on, catch my breath. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Carrying groceries was was miserable, you know. And one day it really hit me. I took my son to play basketball, and it was taking everything in me to try to keep up with him. I'm like, yo, this is not cool. I'm not gonna be that that guy. And I just missed being functional. I used to always be functional, and I was losing functionality. And then just being at all of these bodybuilding shows and expos, and you know, I got a lot of friends that are top level bodybuilders. 
And I'm just like looking at them in the off season. I'm like, you look like shit. You know what I'm saying? Moving slow and tired, leaning on shit. Yeah. I didn't want to be that guy. How, how much weight had you put on in terms of pounds from like Man, I, I got up to 250 pounds. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's way too big for me. Way too big. So, uh, you know, I, I switched up my diet. This is going to lead into the boxing. I switched up my diet. This is the beginning of 2017. I've never been a big meat eater. And when I did eat meat, it had to be burnt because I was just, I never liked meat, like fleshy meat. Yeah, okay. it was, you know, so it had to not resemble meat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I told myself I'm going to cut, reduce, drastically reduce the amount of meat that I ate and also reduce the amount of calories that I took in. So I decided I was going to go back to eating one meal a day, which is something I used to do back a while ago. Something that my father does. Like a, bit of, oh, like a fasting. Type of yeah, but I didn't even look at it as that. Yeah. I just looked at it as just eating once a day. You know, and I, my thing was to only eat animal protein every other day, right? And only eat like salmon. And, uh, and that's what I did. And then I will find myself, especially when I'm home, not on the road, when I'm able to prepare my food, I will go two, three days without eating meat and didn't bother me. So I had no set plan on like just dropping meat altogether. Just one day, you know, I go to a place called True Foods, a lot to eat. And one of my go-to meals is a kale salad and a filet of salmon. I get through my salad. I just didn't want the salmon anymore. I like, I think I'm done. I think I'm over this. That's it. That man. was it. And it was it from there, you know? So at that time, I also... When I was losing weight, feeling better, inflammation was going away. I'm able to, you know, I go for my walks and then I go into a run, ease into running. And before I wasn't running because my knees hurt, I was heavy, you know. So I'm like, man, get to the boxing gym, move around. This feels good, you know, and I'm an extreme person, you know, so I can't just go and just train and look good. I might as well go ahead and fight, hop in the lines then. You know, it's hard to do. I turned 40 and I was like, I got to fucking test myself. You know what I'm saying? Uh, asked my son, should I, you think I should do this? His eyes lit up like, yes. How, yes, how, many, how many other professional boxers would, would turn pro in their 40s? I don't think any. You know, I've never heard of it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of silly because guys retire about 40 or even before 40, you know? So, uh, you were sort of winding back the clock and winding back the clock. And, uh, me reducing, cause I made the decision before I cut out all meat, but it was during me re drastically reducing the meat. I felt like I was reversing, literally reversing the clock and feeling younger and healthier. I used to have problems getting out of bed, just like it'd be painful, just, you know, but when I start cutting back on everything, I'm just popping out like no problem. You know? Wow feeling a lot better. So uh, I said, you know, I'm going to fight. I'm going I'm to give it a go. My son wanted me to do it. I said I was going to do it. How old is your son? He's 12. Oh, okay. You know, I don't, I, I'm not going to be that guy that just look great punching the heavy bag. I'm like, okay, I'm going to show you guys I'm going to really do this. And also, I like to do things that are difficult to keep my edge. And also, I need a gut check sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I need to know that I'm, I still got it, whatever the fuck it is. I don't know, you know, and it could be my ego, but I do think that in our quest as people to, you know, grow mentally and spiritually, I feel like separating ourselves from our egos is important. 
But I do feel like our egos are important as well when we know when to apply it. And part of everything that I do is thinking about when I'm gone, like making my children proud, them having something that they can, you know, yeah, my dad did this or or my, their kid, my granddad was a fucking boxer at 40. Look at this. Yeah. My granddad was tatted up and he was knocking people out. I think that's <laughs> cool for them. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, legacy stuff. So as much as I love boxing, it would have been a shame if I didn't go pro to me. I had to do it. So I did it. And we're all, we're all of your sort of boxing is friends and, and and even past coaches surprised that you were you were making this comeback? Yeah, I know a lot of pro fighters, a lot of nice guys. A lot, some of them are not. Some of them were kind of like, "Oh, wait, you gonna turn pro? Are you sure about that?" They thought it was silly, or they thought I was full of shit. You know, you know, I can tell, I can see it, and so you know, a lot of people didn't think I was really gonna do it. Because a lot of people do say shit on social media all the time. But I'm like, this is cool. I want everybody to think I'm full of shit, you know? So if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, you know? And for, and for the for the listeners that are, are perhaps not big boxing fans, what does it take to actually get awarded the, the pro card, be a professional boxer? What did you have to endure? The threshold is very low. I'll tell you that right now. You don't have to have achieved anything great to be a pro. But you have to have had an amateur career, right? And you have to be healthy enough to fight and they put you through a battery of tests and stuff like that. So, you know, it's a lot in that aspect, but it's not like the NBA, like you're chosen by a big team to be a professional, yeah. you know? Well, boxing, you, you do the prerequisites to get in there and then you got to prove yourself if you want to really make it, you know what I'm saying? So, so, you, so right now you're... Professional I'm boxer. A professional, I'm an undefeated professional boxer. Yeah. And are you are you considering having any any fights upcoming? Yeah, absolutely. I've already the fact that I have a following, you know, it puts me in a different space. So, you know, I can make money out the gate. So there's a big promoters that's already contacted me to to sit down and let's talk about some stuff. So that's something that I plan on doing. In so the future. have you got your eye on uh, anyone in particular that you'd like to jump in the ring yeah, with? Yeah, I do have my eye on a couple of people. I'm not going to put their names <laughs> out yet because I still, you know, I need to get my, my first fight. You know, I trained for it, but it wasn't a real training camp. I want to see how I look after a real training camp. And I have a feeling that I'm going to be pretty, you know, on a level that I, I think that I can be at. I look forward to, yeah. to seeing what happens no there. Doubt. So if, just just on your, your diet, I guess, mm-hmm. um, I'd like to to ask you a couple of questions there. Okay. The the first one, albeit a, a quite a silly question, one mm-hmm. that probably a lot of people ask you, and, and I definitely get it all the time, and mm-hmm. a lot of vegans and plant-based people get it. Mm-hmm. Where do you get your protein from? <laughs> Plants. <laughs> I get my protein from where they get their proteins get their protein from, from plants, beans. I mean, you know, and I get some soy sometimes. People are like, oh, but you know, there's soy in that. I'm like, and motherfucker, like that's not the end of the world, right? You know, in all fairness, you know, people, I was big before I went vegan, you know, I was bigger. So I have lost some size, some mass, you know, and I'm okay with that. But I didn't start out as a vegan. So I don't want to mislead people into thinking that. 
Do you put down the the weight loss to change in training as well or purely just to your diet? It's my nutrition, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. When I first changed my the way I ate, I lost about 20 pounds. I think the peak of my weight loss was about 30 or 35, but I had to gain some back because I wanted to fight as a heavyweight, so I had to you know, yeah, sure. get my weight up. So I had to eat more. I was eating once a day for almost a year. And then I had to step it up. So eating, you know, like twice or three times a day. And I'm trying to get back to once a day again, because I really like how I felt with that. But it's really, you know, me eating as a vegan is new. So it's hard, like sometimes to be satiated fully. Yeah, with and one if you're meal. having one meal, like you've got to you know, the, the animal protein is a lot more dense. It's more dense, right. Calories, so you right. need to eat a lot more volume. Right, right. So it's hard on the road, really hard on the road to get to stuff that I can. At home, like I said, at home is easy for me, you know. But on the road when I'm traveling, it's hard for me to get the foods that's going to keep me, you know, full in one sitting, you know. But the the discipline of eating once a day, I love it. I love it. I just love how I feel. And I don't need that much food. And what time of the day would you would you generally have that meal? In the in the early evening or late afternoon after I train. And and approximately, do you know roughly how many calories that meal would be? No, nah, I don't care. Like just one plate so, of food. So what typically it would be, you know, it would be a just some raw greens to salad first. And then whatever my entree is, and then like some kind of dessert, you know what I mean? So, and that's it. It must be a fairly big meal though. Cause yeah, you're, yeah. You're, yeah what was your weight right now? Right now I'm about 220. 220. Yeah. Okay. So a- outside of the the food, what what supplements do you take? I mean, you, you talked yeah. about the pre-workout and stuff I before. take uh, a, I do, do a plant-based protein that, you know, that I manufacture on my company. Pea protein. And that was the first brand that you mentioned. Right. I'm so alpha. I do, I take a product. It, it doesn't, it's called mental juice. It's a cognitive enhancing function, cognitive function, functioning enhancement. And it's not, it has nothing to do with my weight or anything like that. Yeah. Most of the, the products that I take have uh, is organ support. It's turmeric. It's not vitality. anything to do with, is vitality, optimal health products. It's nothing to do with my weight or, or performance in the gym. Because I tell people like this. Yeah. I am a supplement company owner, but nobody needs supplements. You don't need it. Most of my life, I didn't take any supplements. You know what I mean? Now, I'm going to tell you this. When I was preparing for my fight, the the all of the training, the extra training, the supplements helped me big time. You know, I'm not going to lie, but it's not necessary. So I'm going to put that out there like that. You don't need any of them. You know what I mean? They help though. They definitely help 100%, especially when you when you need those calories and you can make your protein shake, it's easier. You know what I'm saying? So it's not necessary. And I'll be the first person to say that it's a luxury. Shut up. And I I prefer people to get their gains initially without it, without any of it. And learn to to master the nutrition. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And last question about your nutrition and working out Mm -hmm. in terms of your, just when you were working out to be a bodybuilder, what were your top three favorite exercises? Bench press, squats, and deadlifts. The staples. Yeah. It's the foundation. Yeah. 
And I'm uh, shortly going to let you go because this has run a little bit over time. But oh, okay. Well, I think we've covered some great content. No yeah. doubt, no doubt. How, how how have you enjoyed your time in Australia so far? Man, I love I love Australia. This is my third time here, and I plan on coming back many more times. I already have another trip planned in June. It's already booked and everything. Yeah, last year I was close to like looking into getting some some property in this area. Actually, you know, the prices scared me away. I said, never mind. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I think, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's going to go down there. Huh? I don't think it's going to go down around. Yes, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it might make sense for me to be out here a couple months out of the year, business-wise. And I just like being here. It's a cool place. You know, it's, it's so different. You know, I want to come and really absorb it, get what I can get. You know, I like being in different places, of, you know, in the world, just your worldview and perspective broadens and, and is enhanced. You know what I'm saying? So this is a cool place. It just takes so fucking long to get here. Yeah. Well, from it's Arizona, 50, what is it? Well, we fly from LAX. LAX, so 15, 15 hours. Yeah, which is yeah. what I did today. Yeah. I would like to thank you very much for making yourself available tonight. I know your time's super precious. Your story is so, so inspiring. I've definitely taken a lot out of it, and I'm sure the Plant Proof uh, community will too. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's your Instagram handle? Yeah, it's at Mike Rashid. Everything you can find me is just at Mike Rashid, MikeRashid.com, YouTube backslash Mike Rashid, Twitter, Mike Rashid, Facebook, Mike Rashid. There you go, guys. Hey, hey I want to say this. I've always, I have a lot of vegan friends, right, before I even became vegan. And, you know, it's just in all honesty, I had no idea that what veganism really was. I thought it was just a, a another stage of being a vegetarian, just no dairy, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know the the movement with the animals and the standard third. And, you know, my introduction into the vegan world, you know, one of my buddies gave me a shirt, vegan something, I forgot. And I wore a shirt and he, he posted it. He has a big channel, big site. And vegans went crazy, like fuck this guy, yada, yada. It was so, you know, this was a couple years ago. Yeah, wow. They hated me. He's a meat eater. They went, they went hard. And I was like, and then my well, buddy was- Because you previously ate, mate. Yeah. And my buddy was like, you know, was, he was explaining to me the whole, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, this, I had no knowledge of, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that don't know what a vegan really is, right? Or stand for, or represent. So, he was explaining it to me with the animals. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm getting death threats by people who, you know, they want to protect animals, but kill people for eating. This don't make sense. You know what I'm saying? But it's okay. I get it. Like, I don't judge people by, you know, radical assholes. You know what I'm saying? But when I, you know, embraced a plant-based life, people were so, I haven't seen those people. I've just seen very cool fucking people. You know what I'm saying? Like really cool, awesome people. And that's pretty cool. It's really refreshing, you know? So, and I didn't do it for any kind of, I'm just a real person. I'm always going to be honest, no affiliation with anybody. You yeah. know what I'm saying? A lot of people will say, oh, he's just trying to fucking make money. And I'm like, oh, stop it. First of all, I've been making money for a long time. And second of all, it's not like vegans are a majority. And it's, it's a exactly tiny, right. You know what I mean? That's not, if I want to just just make money, it's something else that I would do. This just happened to be how I'm eating. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, 
But for the most part, people have been very cool. Like, I mean, meeting people like yourself and just a lot of cool people, man. And it's it's uh, it's refreshing, you know, and I, I don't want to make what I eat such a big deal. But I see that it is to a lot of people. And it's, you know, if if it's affecting people positively, cool. I think that's cool. But I don't think I'm so special in that. You know what I mean? I'm not waving a flag. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, but no, I, exactly. I get I get what people are. People take it as a statement, you know what I'm saying? So I embrace it. I think cool. everyone can do it in their in their own way, right. how, how they want to do it and incorporate it into their life. But you certainly have a really powerful message. So mm. I can see why people look at look at you and uh and sort of take a bit more interest in in, right. in what you do. Right. So uh yeah, thank you very much cool, for, no for joining us Thanks this evening. I, I hope I can get you back on the plan for a podcast yeah, in the for future. Sure, man. Maybe we'll do this again in June. I think so. All right, Make cool. sure you pack the winter clothes. <laughs> All right, cool, uh, Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks. I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.